You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome back to The Investor Way. I'm John McEwen with my co-host Sam Ball. This week we're going to recap the market news and a few companies that have caught our attention, including Pets at Home, AG Bar and Whitbread. Okay, so do you want to jump straight into the market news then, John? Okay, well, it was quite turbulent at the beginning of the week. Um, we had a big sell-off um, in the UK. FTSE was down, I think, the biggest drop since June, with a slump of about 3.5%. Well, what did you think of it then? Well, I think the, sort of, the prospect of further lockdowns, which had been sort of counter to what the direction that we'd been going in for the last couple of months since early July with Eat Out to Help Out and the emphasis being on getting back consumer spending again. And this was really a reversal of that from, I suppose, from government policy. Yeah, it reminded me actually, and it didn't continue throughout the rest of the week, but that Monday, it did remind me of that period in March where it just seemed to be like every time you've just logged in, you were down like 5% extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I I felt like I'd recovered a bit from psychologically, but it was, no, it was back again. And some of those stocks that we covered last week, especially the ones that had more of the sort of domestic UK focus that were listed on the FTSE 100, like Lloyd's, were particularly badly hit. Yeah, so of the four we actually covered in detail last week as well, we had a bit of a Midas touch of it, I'd say. So (laughs) on the Monday, Associated British Foods was down 4.32%. Redrow was down 10.47%. Trainline 10.26%. And Fevertree 3.67%. So if you'd listened to the podcast on Sunday and bought any of those stocks, as a result. Thankfully, we didn't give them resounding endorsements. No, we didn't, (laughs) fortunately. Well, we didn't tell anyone to short them either. Which <laughs> right. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Um, but I mean, we're not we're not a podcast in favour of shorting generally. No, although you do have some experience with it, whereas I have uh, none. <laughs> okay, yeah, that that was uh, a, a few years ago, and that was yeah the twenty seventeen general election. I did uh, short the euro and long the pound, and I yeah I had a sweaty night's sleep that <laughs> then. It was only a relatively small amount, and it was done through an ETF. But yeah, did you get rid of it the next day? I, I did get rid of it the next day. <laughs> like I say, a small, a relatively small amount of money, and I think I only lost about fifty pounds. But that that was a a useful lesson in yeah the investing journey. I can't remember who said it, but someone said at one point, when you're invested, you need to decide whether you'd rather eat well or sleep well. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think that was that did help shape um, yeah, <laughs> my investing philosophy after that. Uh, never never shorted a stock since and stu- stuck to my defensive and uh, index funds. Should you ever would short a stock again? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. I can't say I've read anything about shorts that makes me feel like no, something no, I'd ever want to do. No, no, that's right. And I mean, I know, you know, some people have been shorting Tesla this year, but got very badly burnt as a exactly, result. Exactly, yeah. I think if, if I was to short, which I don't think I ever would, what I, I have picked up from it is that I think you're probably better to short companies that are genuinely headed towards bankruptcy. So where they're genuinely declining businesses, not a business yeah. that's growing that you think is overvalued. Because yeah, yeah. it can grow into its valuation. Um, yeah. 
and go yeah. far past it as shown with tesla yeah exactly exactly but anyway we're not a shorting podcast we're not we're not a shorting podcast and then i suppose the other thing in terms of uk news is that the borrowing this year is now up to 174 billion and i think it's potentially the highest it's been since the 1960s what are we at as a proportion of GDP, the national debt? As a proportion of GDP, we've gone past the 100% mark um, and we're over 2 trillion. That's quite a lot for peacetime, isn't it? <laughs> it's an awful lot for peacetime, but I suppose <laughs> some people would question whether coronavirus should be considered more of like a, a wartime um, figure. But uh, yeah, it's no huge amount. And of course, Rishi's come out this week and announced a new wage uh, subsidy scheme to continue on from furlough yes that's right um, do you know much about that sam not i've read a bit about it i'm not i'm by no means an expert mm. i won't go into the details of it but essentially what it means is that if you're a worker who's working 33 percent of your hours you'll take home at least 77 percent of your pay but if you were just working 33 percent of your hours of the hours that you're not working the government pays a third and the employer pays a third okay. which is how you get up to that 77 percent I think for the employer, it's not really that, I don't think, attractive because you've got mm. to pay them in full for the hours they are working. And then you've sure. still got to pay a third of the hours they aren't. So do you think that's going to tip over a lot of businesses in terms of redundancies and possibly. other businesses did, sort of going into administration? Possibly. I did see one statistic on it where it said it. the scheme essentially means that for a lot of employers, it's cheaper to have one person working 100% of the time than two people mm. working 50. Yeah, yeah. You pay the full wage. You don't have to subsidize for the hours they're not working. So logically, rather than if you had a big workforce and you were, you were keeping everyone employed 50% of the time, it makes sense to get rid of half of them. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose we'll have to see what happens going beyond October. But more just from an economic and market perspective, how it'll impact on that, whether more redundancies, businesses going under... The overall impact really i think it's difficult and we don't really have a clear direction as well because what we've done now it's a very clear u-turn as you mentioned for me out to help out where everyone's been encouraged to go out more yeah yeah and that sort of v-shaped recovery seems to be coming yeah a bit more lesson. squiggly <laughs> yeah, a bit more squiggly that's right okay so should we go into our first company then yes so should we do pets at home first yeah go for pets at home tell pets us about at- it this week So Pets at Home have announced that their full year pre-tax profit is expected to be ahead of the market expectations of £73 million. So they've put that down to positive momentum in the second quarter with veterinary procedures resuming following the end of the lockdown. So they said there was double digit like for like sales growth in the eight weeks to 10 September. So that's compared to the period last year. Yeah. So one of the things, I mean, Pets at Home, Often, if you don't own a pet and you haven't been to Pets at Home, you think of it as just a store that sells sort of the food, the cages, the, the basics for pets, but it actually does more than that. It does, yeah. So they've, they've tried to expand their revenue streams in recent years. So as well as the pet supplies, they've tried to turn it into a bit more of a destination. So they've got vet clinics and grooming rooms as well, which is, is I think, a bit higher margin than just general pet retail too. Yeah, and that's a, a relatively recent development for Pets at Home because it, it only floated in the last few years. 
It did, yes. It's only been public relative, a relatively short it's, period of time. It went public in 2014. And how has it done since then? Got the, the most recent results, but over those last four years? Probably outperformed the FTSE in that period, but that's not saying very much. <laughs> uh, but that's not saying very much. No, it went public at £2.40 a share six years ago. Yeah. It's now at almost £4 a share, but that is following, okay. I think it went up about 30% this week. It went public at £2.40 it went up initially to about three pounds and then it, it spent the next three years just slowly dropping all the way down to it looks like about almost one pound a share just over it started rising since then so 2019 2020 its earnings per share have grown it's been about uh three to five percent yeah so if you bought it at the bottom in 20 towards the end of 2018 you'd be up almost 4x by now i think you'd be up at least 3x well outperforming the FTSE <laughs> yes definitely so since it IPO'd, it's up about 65% in six years, which is definitely better than the FTSE. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And what do you, how do you think coronavirus and lockdowns, and this in particular being a retail stock, what, what do you see going forward in the next year? So they've, like they said, they've, they're going to be ahead of the expectations of 73 million pounds, but that's still below last year's 99 and a half million of profit. I've, I'm not actually that keen on it, to be honest. So we've got two dogs and generally like, all, the, all the expensive stuff we actually get online. The only when reason... you say online, do you mean Amazon or sort of other big retailers rather than it's online gen- at home? generally wherever's the cheapest so for the food emily actually looks at websites that compare the meat content of the dry food and then she'll get the highest ranked meat content that's at like the lowest price so i don't know where it comes from at the minute but it's, it's definitely not pets at home they're generally at the higher end but even before we were doing that we could get it significantly cheaper on amazon oh i see okay so it came down to the cost and pets at home wasn't yeah, I think the only time I go into pets at home is if we needed something where we wanted to actually have a look at it. So with toys, because one of our dogs in particular is a very hard chewer. If you give him a not very good toy, it'll last about 10 minutes and he's just torn it apart. So we, like, we do like being able to actually feel it and check that it's a, it's a good quality toy. So it'll last at least 20 minutes. So it's a bit easier to do that in the store rather than online. But for all the big purchases, we don't use pets at home at all. Yeah. Okay. I, I suppose, like you said before, they were tr- management were trying to make it a bit more of a destination, and adding those vets, taking your pet in, having claws trimmed, then that does draw you into the store a bit more. Whether you buy things when you're there, and you're sort of a return customer. I think also I read that they've got a bit like the Tesco club card scheme. They've got a VIP scheme there. They do. It actually stands for very important pets. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it says we've got 5.7 million members, but I'm yeah. not even sure. I don't know how useful that even is. Really, I mean, it will be useful for the regular buyers, but for example, we're actually VIP members. Yeah. Because I, I think you get like club card points almost, but yeah, I, I don't think they've ever really certainly effectively marketed to us whether or not that could change. I don't know, but it doesn't feel like they've really got much from us being VIP members. So I don't know if that's the case for a lot of the VIP members. Yeah. That data surely though 
could be valuable in terms of if they did successfully uh, or they could successfully market from it i think so yeah because i mean if you're a regular buyer it's obviously a lot more useful but even with us i guess if they can see that we are going in and we're buying the higher quality toys if they started advertising those to us at discounts that's the sort of thing where we probably would be interested but if they started trying to advertise dog food and stuff to us we're just not going to be bothered because it's not going to be cheaper than where we're getting it currently and it's probably going to be lower quality food so the other thing is the price i'd say so it's currently valued at just under two billion yeah and according to so this won't include the most recent year's figures yet but it's currently trading at a pe ratio of 29 almost so that's not cheap not cheap no it's trading at a 12 months forward price to earnings ratio of 23 when the long-term 12-month average has been 14.4 so no I don't know if people are maybe paying a premium for it because it's one that has held up quite well during lockdown and the, the uncertain climate. That's right. And this trend that people apparently are buying more pets and looking at more pets, things that they can do at home going forward, whether that continues. It's interesting as well, because when in 2016, the year ended, revenue was just under 800 million. And in the year ended March 2020, it increased to 1.05 billion, just over. Yeah. But in that period, profit was down. Although it is growing, it's not going through to the bottom line at present. It's, it's certainly not something that interests me, especially with such the heavy retail exposure. Yeah, that's right. It's same for me, Sam. Yeah, it's, it's prospective dividend yield of 2.5%. I, I did actually have a look at it. I remember a couple of years ago when it was near the bottom and it just it didn't interest me then and I don't think it really interests me now. It's just, yeah. I, think, I think it is hard with that, that such a large retail exposure and with the online stuff, I think when you're up against Amazon and stuff like that, you, people are just going to go to the cheapest. That's right, that's, tr- that's right. We actually, we did used to get the food from Pets at Home when we first got, the first dog and then we were talking to someone from work and they said oh you can get the bigger bag on amazon and it costs less it comes down to do the that. price yeah and then you get it you get it delivered to you with prime it's yeah. difficult to compete against that i think very difficult it's difficult i think i think it does they do seem to be doing quite a good job with what they've got it's just that what they've got in my opinion isn't a massively attractive business in the first place no quite it does seem like management are doing the best you could expect them to do with it So do you want to move on to company number two then, John? So company number two, we're going to be discussing AG Bar. AG Bar, do you know much about that already, John? I drink Iron Brew from time to time. Do you? I don't like Iron Brew. (laughs) Is that since they reduced the sugar content? No, I've never never really liked it. It's just never never liked it. I've gone for. I don't like Dandelion and Burdock either. Don't you? What what about Tizer? I've never drank Tizer. Okay, you don't. You certainly don't see that around so much anymore. We've got also got Rockstar Energy and Rubicon. Well, well, I am. I am a very hold, big... hold, hold on. They don't have Rockstar Energy anymore, and that's been part of the problem. I did see that. So they've got. They had the the UK license, didn't they? It's still on their they, website. So do they? Do they have it at the moment? So the Rockstar deal, I think, is owned by PepsiCo along with Snapple. That's coming to an end in November for AG Bar. Oh, that's not long at all then. So that's, that's no. basically gone, really. Yeah, it, it has. They want to take it down off the website. <laughs> <laughs> so they also have Rubicon, which I'm a very big fan of. Um, okay, yeah. That's probably the only one of their drinks that I actually like. Although, 
I did see they've got a new drink called a Big Willy, which I'd certainly like to try. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> Would you sip on a Big Willy, John? Uh, I, I don't think I would, uh, Sam. It's but ginger beer. It's, it's ginger beer. Okay, okay. Drink with uh, spirit. Uh, and when's that coming out? Or is that it's out? out. It looks, it looks like it's for sale in Sainsbury's at the minute. Uh, it's quite, it's quite a nice branding as well. It's got this big burly tattooed man who I assume is meant to be a pirate with a big yeah, ginger beard. Yeah, very tongue in cheek. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> so maybe we'll see you sipping on a big willy soon. <laughs> All right, so what about the numbers? They re- just reported revenues of $113 million in the six months to 25th of July, which was a 7.6% fall from the six months in the previous year. This was hit mm. by the closure of restaurants and bars with funking cocktails hit particularly hard. Yeah, sure. So I suppose with bars and restaurants being closed, that's going to hit a drinks company like that significantly. Yes, although there will have been more people buying in the supermarkets, I guess. So is that how's that worked out in the numbers? So the 7.6% fall in revenue has resulted in a 62.2% fall in profit to 5.1 million. But part of the reason for that is... There were restructuring costs and there was a 10, pa- 10 million pounds impairment to the Strathmore water brand. So an impairment is just an accounting treatment. So every year they have to value all of their assets and make sure they're still worth what it's saying on the balance sheet. So oh, if they see, think see. an asset has decreased in value, they impair it and that goes through the profit and loss. So that oh. will decrease. So if they've had a 10 million pounds impairment, that will decrease the profit for the year by 10 million pounds. But there's no oh, actual cost associated with that. It's just, okay. it's just a valuation thing, which is why it hasn't followed through to the cash flow. Yeah. One thing that's yeah. interesting is they've actually, they've written down the assets of Strathmore Water all the way down to zero. So really? they've, they've impaired it to the point where they're saying it's worth nothing. Which, really? Yeah. So to me, that seems a bit pessimistic. Yeah, that, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That is a bit pessimistic. So I, I think that, that £10 million impairment is possibly a bit overdone. In my view, yeah, no, so it sounds it because I've certainly had Strathmore, and you it may be not as strong as you know your Buxton uh brands, but it's still, yeah, they've written it, they've written it down to zero, so maybe you could offer them a pound for it. <laughs> um, you'd so be getting a good deal there, I think so, yeah. So it's, it's a strange one because I, I understand the impairment, but I don't writing it down to zero seems a bit much for me, uh, overdone, yeah, but. Anyway, the dividends are under review and are expected to return in 2021. They've strengthened their balance sheet position, it looks like, but that's mainly due to taking longer to pay people and trying to collect money quicker. Sure. So it's not something that's sustainable long term. No, no. So over the last five years, since 2015, operating profits down from about 38.8 million to 38.1. So I've, I'm reading it as down from 42.1 to 30. Okay, so I think that was, that. yeah, that was 2016. So there was some oh, 20, so you're starting 20, 2015, sorry. Yeah, so 2016, it increased to 42. Then 2017, 43. 2018, 45. 45 again in 2019. And now it's sort of back down. So that pretty um, much follows the share price as well, because it was slowly going up. Yeah. And, and then, then they dropped. They, the sugar tax was introduced and I'm not sure how much of an impact that specifically has had 
on the operating profit because the brands that you've got with AG Bar are they are strong brands, but they're not not you know on the same level as Coca Cola in terms of brand loyalty. No. So whether the the reformulation of a lot of their drinks has impact, whether fewer people are buying, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually, so from, I'm just looking at 2016 to 2020, but revenue is down very, very slightly over that period. And then you're going to have to take out the Rockstar drinks as well, aren't you now? Because it's, they make up 8% of sales. You are, and it sounds like the contract for those might be going to Britpick. Oh, so that's not that's not good at all, right? Really. That's not that's not good at all. Um, they're probably one of their sort of competitors in the UK. I actually don't think, given the circumstances, I think they're still quite expensive. So they're trading at a PE ratio of sixteen, and the ten-year average is nineteen point six. Yeah, with sort of the potential for lockdowns to continue, the loss of Rockstar. I mean, you've got the sugar tax. I think it's. I'd say it's probably a declining. It is a slightly declining business anyway, and they're losing Rockstar. I'd expect it to trade at a bit more of a discount. Than a bit more of a discount, yeah. Is. I can't say it's probably a business I'd have been particularly interested anyway, just because I don't think it has enough strong brands for me. And it is all just carbonated drinks, really. Yeah, it is. I don't think they... Do they have any other... Well, Rubicon, it's not always just carbon. They do a fizzy... Have you had Rubicon? I have had Rubicon, yeah. I've really had, good. But they, do like non, <laughs> they do non-fizzy versions of it. They've got a Simply Fruity on the website as well. And that looks like just a ripoff of fruit shoots. Okay. And I guess they've got Strathmore Water, but they're telling us that's not worth it, anything at all. It's not worth anything at all. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly carbonated drinks, so. Yeah. And I suppose it would have been, obviously the dividend's been suspended now, traditionally a reliable dividend stock. Yeah, so dividend, the yield historically has been about 2.5%. And it's been quite well covered as well. It's been, it's had cover of over, it's usually had cover of around 2x. Sure. So, yeah, safe dividend. And they've been growing it over the last 20 years as well. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it has been going up a little bit every year, too. Yeah. So, it's, it's currently trading at a prospective dividend yield of 3.9%. Still not enough for me, really. Um, <laughs> no. Especially with the rock star, because that, it's hard to say what Im- impact that will have on the profits. But when it's 8% of revenue just disappearing, yeah, no, it's, I think, pr- probably one for me anyway to stay away from at the moment. Yeah, would it go on the watch list? Possibly, but I think there are better stocks out there. I'd agree. I don't, I don't think it even makes a watch list for me. <laughs> no. If it wasn't for this podcast, it's not something I'd really have looked at at all. No, they'd reported, so have a look at it. And yeah, uh, yeah I don't like it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes, we have Whitbread next. Okay, so Whitbread. What's come out this week with Whitbread, Sam? They've released their first half sales for the year. In the first half, sales were down 76.8% compared to the previous year. Gosh, so huge. Yeah, so it's it's because the hotels were just closed during lockdown. Obviously now, Whitbread used to, for the past few years, have Costa as part of the business, and that was sold off to Coca-Cola uh, was it, I think, last year? I think 2019 it was sold off. And that was, of course, the faster growing part of the business. Yeah, I, I think the two together probably. I mean, they've, they've, they've still got Premier in. They've got Beef Eater as well. Yeah, that would be impacted massively by yeah. lockdown restrictions. Yeah, well, a lot of the Beef Eaters are all next to the Premier Inns, aren't they? So 
Yeah. No one's going to the Premier Inns, no one's going to be going to the Beef Eaters either. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about the Costa sale? Well, the Costa sale, I quite liked Whitbread as a company and it had been on the watch list for some time. And that was really because of the Costa, the Costa coffee aspect of the business. It was the UK's major player in coffee, coffee chains. I think back in the last recession, Costa had expanded quite aggressively in comparison with, you know, your Cafe Nero's and your Starbucks in the UK market on the basis that during the recession, I think a lot of the other companies had felt that one of the luxury items that people would be cutting back on would be premium coffee. And that proved not to be the case. And it was a big win for Costa Coffee. And unfortunate, well, unfortunately for Whitbread, the Elliott advisors had taken a stake in Whitbread and forced the chief executive to sell off the Costa Coffee and split it from Whitbread. That went to Coca-Cola. By all accounts, they got a good deal for it. But where does it leave Whitbread as a company now with just Premier Inn and its the restaurant side of its business uh, with the beef eater. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same as you. I think with Costa, I would have been interested in it. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of quite quite good brands, really, because Premier Inn it is it is a good brand. Same with with Costa, and I think I think together it gave you quite a nice bit of diversity. But exactly, now that. it's mainly hotels now, and I don't I don't think hotels are really on. They're not in a good place at the minute. I think with Airbnb and stuff like that. They're, no, they're not at all. And of course, with the coffee side of the business, it was a growth market in the UK. More and more people were drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah, it would have been would with have been quite, quite high margins as well. Yeah, I think I would have been much more interested in it when it had Costa Coffee. Yeah. How do you see the hotel side of the business going? Going back to the report, they actually said that things had improved in the second quarter of the first half, um, so the last three months, with 98% of the UK hotels open by the end of the half and occupancy averaging 51% in August. But I think if you're a hotel, 51% occupancy is not really good enough because what happens is you get to a point where you've covered the cost and everything after that is profit so that 49 percent that's missing it's, it's probably all the profit and then some and i don't know what percentage of the rooms they let out to sort of business people or you know the people who are traveling on business and if there's less traveling going on and there's more zooming how yeah. much is that going to be sort of a structural change in the next year two years three years I think because of where they're positioned in the market as well, where it's more sort of, it's, it's definitely lower quality than say a Hilton is. And I think they've done that quite deliberately. But I think if, you, if you're traveling for business, it's more attractive for the company because it's, it's a decent hotel, but it's cheaper. Than saying it. Like, whereas if you go on a holiday in the UK or something, you're probably more likely to spend the money on a more quality hotel. Yeah, I suppose people don't tend to holiday in a Premier Inn. <laughs> but if you're staying overnight before going on a flight, or if it's, a yeah, like you say, if it's a sort of uh, business people travelling... That's, that's then more what I'd say. I'd say it's ideal for that sort of thing. What I would worry about is if you've got fewer business people travelling, generally, yeah. how does that translate into the profits for Whitbread? Yeah, I, I'd agree. They've announced 6,000 redundancies as well, which is 18% of their workforce. Gosh, that's and that, huge. So they originally furloughed 27,000 staff members, Yeah, which I suppose makes sense because if, if the hotels were all closed, what are they going to do with yeah. them? Um, yeah. I, I think with working from home as well, I think 
I'd be surprised if things pick up to the same level they were at previously. I don't suppose you know what they've done with the cash from the Costa deal. So I think they did a quite a sizable share buyback and bought about 2.5 billion of the shares at approximately 50 pounds a share or just under um, so 20 pounds. Okay. They essentially cut the number of shares in circulation by a fifth. If you look at what's happened to the share price, I suppose it plummeted in lockdown, which they couldn't have really anticipated. But I mean, even still, it's not. In the past few years, it's still traded around the £40 mark. It was down at 35 in November. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the best use of capital, to be honest. No. I saw they actually had a they had to do a rights issue in June to raise one billion in cash just to keep, give them a bit of breathing space. So gosh. It's not ideal gosh. if they're doing a big share buyback and then having to do a rights issue a couple of years no, later. No, quite. I know I do understand they couldn't have anticipated this, but like it's not not dissimilar to my Taylor Wimpy, which was diluted, but we'd had you know huge dividends over the last year before that, and then yeah, yeah, big capital raise. But it looks like they're they've actually got a position in Germany as well as the UK, though, which I didn't realise. So that's with the Premier in, presumably. I'd assume so, unless it's under a different brand name. It reminds me a bit. I think probably an apt comparison. It's probably like the weather spoons of hotels because it says it owns the hotels rather than leasing them, which has helped at the minute. Yes. Yeah. 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 That that that's something. Yes. So in terms of the key metrics, it's actually trading at a price to book of 0.9 when the ten-year average is two. Gosh. So it's it's. But I guess the ten-year average would include Costa. Yes, it would include Costa, and I suppose it's cheap on paper, but the outlook for it is horrific i actually think without costa it's probably i don't think it is cheap historically i think it's probably fair that it trades underpriced to book for a hotel in terms of comparisons within the uk i'd be thinking the travel lodge i'm not sure is that public it's owned by golden tree asset management and it's a private company so what's your verdict on whitbread then doesn't make the watch list no i'm short but it would i've come close to that did you say they suspended their dividend, though? It looks like they have, yeah. So it's currently yielding nothing. I guess, yeah. So they don't, they normally make a dividend payment in July, and they didn't make that. And that's usually the bigger dividend as well. So historically, it's had a yield of between 2 and 2.5%. Okay, and it doesn't look like they're going to be, on the basis of those numbers, reinstating it anytime soon. I guess not, no. So on a historic price to earnings, it's trading at just over 12 but revenues and earnings will have been absolutely pummeled. Outlook it, is dire. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not a business that interests me at all, to be honest. I don't think I would have been particularly interested before everyone stopped going anywhere. So I certainly wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be interested now. No, no, quite. Um, and you, you, don't, you don't see value in it either. I mean, they, I mean, it's trading at under book value. So I think you could theoretically say, well, if they sold everything, you'd make a profit, but... If it loses money in the meantime, and as well, if they actually sold a lot of the hotels, would they actually be worth less than they think they are? I wouldn't. Ex- I wouldn't invest in Whitbread anyway, thinking that we're going to sell all the hotels because I wouldn't leave much. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's not something that really interests me at all. All right. Okay. Should we move on to Boohoo next? Okay. So it's been in the news not for the best reasons, um, but a report's come out this week 
and it was looking into the working conditions because there'd been an investigation back in July. I think there was a Sunday Times report and it was all related to unsafe working conditions and sort of various allegations who were involved in sort of a sweatshop trade. So I noticed that following the announcement of the report, um, and have you taken shares rose over 18%. So I'm assuming they got a glowing report, John. I wouldn't describe it as glowing, but it perhaps wasn't as bad for Boohoo as might have been expected from this initial story in July. So one of the conclusions from the QC, uh, Miss Levitt, was that Boohoo knew for a fact that there were some serious examples of unacceptable working conditions and poor treatment of workers, including illegal low pay by last December at the latest. But what, what was the quote that stood out for you, Sam? To the review they described it as, quote, many failings in the supply chain and recommended improvements. However, the leader of the view, review was satisfied that Boohoo didn't purposefully allow poor conditions. So it was, that, it was that word, purposefully. So the conclusion was they were just incompetent, which, <laughs> which caused the shares to rise 18%. Okay, but what aside from this story, which is sort of from Boohoo's perspective, hopefully coming to an end, how do you see the business more generally? So I suppose it's quite positive in that it doesn't reflect a general culture problem that could just be everywhere. So I do, I do, joking aside, I do understand why the shares have risen significantly following the announcement. I do just find it a bit funny given how bad the report was. But they were able to, because they're online, they were able to trade during the lockdown when a lot of the high street brands couldn't. So sales have continued to do well. Operating margins are in double digit territory. Wow. Which I guess for retail is pretty good. And retail in the UK as well. Yes. The operating profit from 2015, it was 10.6 million. And now 2020 is 90.9 million. Yes, that's up 9x and the, the stock's up about in line with that actually. So as a price to earnings, it's not really any more expensive than it was back then. No, the other company that's most comparable is probably ASOS. Yes, I would and- agree with that. Does ASOS have earnings? It does. According to Hargreaves Lansdowne, it's trading at a PE ratio of 177. Very cheap. Absolutely. Let's have a look at the financials and see which year it is that it's pulling through for that PE ratio. So that's based on the year ended 31 August 19. I mean, the operating profit back in 2015 for ASOS was 52.4 million. And then just going back to 2019, it's actually fallen to 35.1. It looks quite expensive to me. Yeah. And with both companies, of course, they are aimed at the sort of under 40, certainly. Under 30 is maybe their biggest market. In terms of this cultural problem with the various, well, what's been going on in Leicester and in the supply chain, do you think that's, I mean, it doesn't look so far in the numbers like that has impacted on the younger people buying their clothes through Boohoo? No, it does look. I mean, I'm actually surprised it's as big as it is. So it's worth 4.7 billion. I didn't realise it was that big. I knew ASOS was around that area, but I didn't realise Boohoo was. Yeah, well, it's, it's had massive growth and it's still trading on the alternative investment market here in the UK. It hasn't gone to the FTSE 100, but it's probably got a market cap that's uh, 
be pushing towards getting, wouldn't it? I don't know if it, it would, would it, be big it, enough. It, but. it would be. So they've also got the subsidiaries, Pretty Little Thing, Nasty Gal and Karen Millen, which I've heard of them. I can't say I've ever bought anything from any of them. No. Oh, I think they're, it's, it's more women's fashion. I think so, yeah. They had a majority stake in Pretty Little Thing and it looks like they bought the minority stake recently as well. So they um, own, own the whole thing? Yes. Despite that, they still have 350 million of net cash on the balance sheet. Wow. Which is quite, it's quite high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Boohoo... It's trading at a 12-month forward, so a PE for the next 12 months, if you assume it's going to hit that, a forward PE ratio of 37. 37. Compared to a historic average of 42. Yeah. Doesn't currently pay a dividend. But yeah, I think, I think you are. You're paying for the growth, really, aren't you're you? You're paying so, for the growth. And the growth, there's no signs of it stopping, growth. especially in the market where high street bricks and mortar retail is struggling and this company is well positioned as an online player to expand yeah so the 2016 year end it had revenue of 195 million compared to 1.2 billion for the year end of 2020 and profit before tax like like you said this this is 2016 but 15 million to 92 million if you go back to a year before like you did it's 10 to 90 million in yeah was it six years it's not currently paying a dividend i guess it's a growth story isn't it it's a, it's a growth story and what the asos market cap is asos has a market cap of 5.3 billion so they are valued at about the same so the year ended august 19 asos had revenue of 2.7 billion compared to 1.2 billion for boohoo for the year ended 2020 but the growth is a lot slower in ASOS. So for the from 2015 to 2019, revenue grew from 1.1 billion to 2.7, whereas it's up about 6x in that same period for yep. Boohoo. It's a smaller business, but it's trading at a higher multiple, isn't it? Because the growth rate is quicker. That's right. That's right. Which one would you rather have? Boohoo. This is genuinely a stock that's going on my watch list. Really? Okay. So I, I actually would have said Boohoo as well, just because I think I'd say the growth rate for ASOS is actually, it's quite sluggish now. Yeah. So with Boohoo, I think if I was going to get the two and it's a similar valuation, I'd rather get the smaller one that's growing at 50% a year. Yeah, absolutely. And that trend I could see continuing. Obviously it's not a cheap stock to buy. It wouldn't have to grow at 50% a year for many years to grow into the valuation it's currently at. Exactly. Yeah, so I, no, I, I was impressed by it as well, actually, especially compared to ASOS. ASOS is not one I'd be looking at at the moment. I think ASOS, we won't go into them now, but I think ASOS has had quite a few other problems in the past few years as well, hasn't it? Mm. Should we move on to the next company then? It's actually the final company as well. Yeah, let's move on to that. So we have got Pennon, which is a water supplier. So they actually used to be in waste disposal as well, but they sold that in July. So it's a utility company. Yes, basically. So they've said that they're in line with management expectations with lower business water usage offsetting a rise in household usage. That's sort of the the case with a lot of the utility companies. Yeah, they still expect a net reduction in revenue of £10 million for the year. Apparently, because of the, the way the regulatory model works, they'll actually be able to recover it in future years. I don't, I don't know how exactly that works, but no, I'm not, um, not all that familiar with regulation of uh, the utility companies. No, they were in waste disposal, which they sold in July for. It's called Viridor, and they sold it in July for 3.7 billion in cash. Okay, so, and what are they doing with the the cash that they from the sale? 
at the minute it's just going to be sat on the balance sheet but it's the plans are to use it to pay down debt and contribute to the pension so i'm guessing the pension's underfunded yeah yeah which, which most utilities have that problem yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the biggest uh, utility company being uh, Centrica or British Gas. Yeah, BT as well. They've got massive problems yeah, with the pensions. Yeah, yeah. What do you see the company as? Do you, is it a, a sort of bond proxy that you could use for a, a reliable source of income? I think, I think that's all. So it's just water now. So there's no, it is literally just water. 83% of the profits come from the subsidiary Southern Southwest Water. They're regulated by Offwatt and they have to say what they consider to be acceptable profit. At the moment, they're toughening up on utilities. So they've reduced what they consider to be an acceptable level of profit. Yeah. So it probably won't do as well in the future as it's done in the past. So it previously had been growing the dividend at 4% above inflation every year. And now it's only going to be able to do it by 2%. Okay, so it's, it's well, shareholders will be impacted by that. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it's a dividend play, really. So at the minute, it's trading at a 12-month forward PE ratio of 25.7, compared to a historic average of 17.2. I guess that's because they've got all the cash sat on their balance sheet at the minute. Yeah, and of um, course, I mean, we had the election late last year in December, and there was the re- very real possibility of utilities being nationalised. So that will have been a relief for the company as well. Yeah, I think so. So it's trading at a prospective dividend yield of 3.2% as well. I think the share prices over the last five years is up nearly 80%. If you're looking exactly five years ago, it's £5.94 and it's now, what, £10.57. Oh, so it's doubled. Nearly. So it's currently trading at a dividend yield compared to the historic dividend of just over 4%. Historic PE ratio... Looks like a sixteen point eight percent. And year year to date, it's up seven point four percent. And over the last one year, it's up forty one percent. And obviously, that's excluding dividends. So it's trading at a market cap of four point four six billion, which is interesting given that it's got over three billion in cash at the minute. Yeah. But I guess because that's going to be going into an underfunded pension and to pay down debts, it's going to be a healthier company as a result. It's going to be healthier, yeah. I think it is really. It's just an income play, to be honest. I don't. Yeah, and I mean the the real threat to it is increased regulation. Yes. Would you be interested? I wouldn't. I have got a utility company in my portfolio which has not performed well, but I'm not looking to add to, uh, to that position. If I, if I wanted an income play and I wanted to buy a stock for the dividend, I don't think I'd go for one that was at such high risk of regulation no. every few years. Agreed. So, is there anything okay. else you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we've, yeah, I think we've probably covered most things now. I think so. Yeah, I've just finished reading uh, House of Rothschild Volume Two, actually. Oh, you mentioned that a couple of weeks, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. It's the Neil Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I really enjoyed both volumes. Um, yeah, it was really, really. I'd, I'd say, it, I mean, you won't learn anything about investing, but if you're interested <laughs> in the in the history of finance at all, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I think that's everything then. We'll see you next week then. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.